If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I'd invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And we'll begin this morning in Mark chapter 1 verse 35. Mark 1 verse 35. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He, being Jesus, said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into the synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have given us your word through the pen of Mark under the inspiration of Your Holy Spirit, that we might learn something from it of Your Son this morning. Lord, would You change us by Your Word. If anybody here this morning, under the sound of my voice, under the sound of Your preaching, of Your Word, does not yet know You as Savior, would You, by the power of this Word, save them, change them, draw them to You, and transform their life so that they might have everlasting life in your Son. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. A quick search of the internet or a perusal of the local bookstore will produce an innumerable amount of books on preaching and church growth strategies. Some of them will say that if you want to grow a church, follow these ten steps. Church growth won't happen unless you are unless you use these results-based keys. The purpose that drives the church, according to some of these books, is numerical growth. All of these church growth methods, though, fall short. One of my favorite expositors, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who spent 14 years in nearly 400 sermons preaching just through the book of Romans, said in his book, Preaching and Preachers, One of the advantages of being old is that you have experience. So when something new comes up and you see people getting very excited about it, you happen to be in a position of being able to remember a similar excitement perhaps 40 years ago. And so one has seen fashions and vogues and stunts coming on after another in the church. Each one creates great excitement and enthusiasm and is loudly advertised as the thing that is going to fill the church. The thing that is going to solve the problem. Here is the thing, and everybody rushes after it. But soon it wanes and disappears, and something else takes its place. And Lloyd-Jones, and his explanation of the coming and going of fads and fashions and church growth strategies, could not be more accurate. Even in my day, I've seen this trend of a constant onslaught of trying, to, uh, trying something new in order to produce crowds. I've heard these things and seen these things done. The pastor shouldn't dress as a pastor, Instead, let him dress cool and trendy to attract more people. Change the stage into a basketball court for March Madness and water down the gospel so that people are more likely to come to service. Use water guns and beach balls in the service so that way it gets the crowd entertained and involved in the service. Use strobe lights and fog machines to liven up the atmosphere. People don't want to hear about sin and salvation, heaven and hell, so instead just preach what people want to hear. But this morning, in our text before us, we see 
that Jesus, the very Son of God, and the example to us as to what works in ministry, what works with preaching, is for us an example. And He doesn't resort, resort to any of this foolishness that we talked about just a moment ago. And this morning I've titled our sermon, Praying and Preaching, A Model of Ministry. Because in these verses, our Lord gives us a model, an example by which we see growth. That is, true growth. Look with me at verse 35. Mark 1, verse 35. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a secluded place and was praying there. The first thing that we see as a model of ministry, as a model of what truly works within the life of the church, is prayer. Prayer. Before coming to serve here at Mount Carmel, I was interviewed for another church and for another pastorate. This particular church, I'll not name the name of it, but this particular church spent time uh, interviewing us. They spent time asking me questions and asking my wife questions. And after about an hour of this had gone by, I realized something. Every single question that they had asked had something to do with how will you grow our church. Now my response to them after I heard about 15 or 20 questions about how are you going to grow our church was, look, I want to grow the church just as much as you do. If you don't want to see numerical growth, you have a problem. If you don't want to see the church grow and flourish and you don't want to see the next generation come to the church, then you've got a problem somewhere. But... We could change the church sign and say that it's now a nightclub and we would have 500 people come to the church next Sunday. But that's not the kind of growth we want. The kind of growth that we want comes by the slow and steady preaching of the Word of God. The kind of growth we want as a church comes by being faithful to the Lord, by being faithful to God, and then God brings that growth as He sees fit. That's the kind of growth we want. And as I stand here this morning, I stand by what I said then. That the, the growth that I want to see for this church, the growth that I want to see for the kingdom of God, isn't that it would be a fad or a fashion or a vogue or something that is trending for a few moments and then it passes away. But I want to see true growth happen in the church. I want to see true salvation take place. But before the preacher ever opens his mouth and utters a word behind the pulpit, there is a secret task that must be done. There is a hideaway that the pastor must retreat to before he ever steps before the congregation he is called to serve. And that is found here in verse 35. It is the secret place of prayer. Before a preacher ever stands before the people whom God has entrusted under his care, he must first be in prayer for those people. I heard it said once that a pastor who fails to pray for his people should never be allowed to preach to his people. And here in verse 35, we see that Jesus sets the example for us. Jesus perfectly exemplifies for us what a preacher should be. I've heard it said that God had but one son and He made him a preacher. Jesus is not just a good teacher, a prophet, or a Messiah among many Messiahs, a God among many gods. He is the Son of God who has come in the flesh to reveal God to us and to teach us of Himself to reveal the gospel of the kingdom. And because of that, He comes preaching the Word of God, preaching the good news of the kingdom, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn away from your sin and look to Me. I am the Messiah who you've been waiting for. That's what Jesus came to do. And in giving us an example to compare preachers to today, Jesus earnestly prayed. 
Although here in verse 35, all that we get is that Jesus was praying. We don't get what exactly He was praying for. We can pull some other texts from Scripture and put those together and get an idea of what Jesus might have been praying for here. In Matthew chapter, five, chapter 6, verses 5-13, through 13, we see in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that He teaches us how to pray. And in that teaching on prayer, He says, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, When you pray... Notice that word. Words are important. He doesn't say if you pray, but when you pray. Jesus has this expectation that He sets upon believers that we will be a prayerful people. We're not just going to pray every now and then when things start getting really tough and we can't find any other answers, but we pray regularly when you pray. You are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. What would happen is that there were, there were Pharisees who would stand on the street corners and they would pray loudly saying, Oh God, oh God, I've been righteous. Look at how righteous I've been. Make other people righteous like me. That was their, the kind of prayer that they would offer to God. And Jesus here says, don't pray like that. Don't pray like the hypocrites. Instead, get alone with the Lord. Instead, pray earnestly to God. Pray that God would do a work beginning with you. Don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't, pl- don't pray like the people who say one thing and then do another, but pray earnestly. Truly I say to you, Matthew 6 verse 5, Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full, but you, when you pray, again that word when, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for the many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now there are two two important aspects of Jesus' prayer that He uses to instruct us here. First, He glorifies the Father in every respect. From His word usage to His requests mentioned in His prayer. All of the prayer of Jesus to the Father is an honorable prayer. He doesn't come to God using terms that we would refer to one another as. He comes to Him saying, Father, God, the God who is above all. And second, He displays His love for His people and that He teaches us that the greatest need we have in this life is not our own desires, but that our desires might be brought under the will of God. And so He prays that God's will would be done. And then in John chapter 17, we see the high priestly prayer where Jesus is praying on behalf of His people. And in this prayer, Jesus prays for our sanctification, that is, for our continual maturation and holiness. He prays that we would grow with each passing day in our knowledge of and love for God. And this is my prayer for us as a church, that we would continue to grow in love and in knowledge for God. I would love to see every pew in this church full, but a a full church means absolutely nothing if the people in the church don't first have full hearts for God. 
And so my prayer first for us, first and foremost, above everything else, is that we would grow in holiness, that we would be sanctified continually by the Word of God. And here, Jesus is praying for His people. Look with me again at verse 35. Mark 1, verse 35. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. We see that Jesus takes the time early in the morning before He does anything else to get alone with God. Steve Lawson is one of my favorite preachers and he says that he often tries to give his mornings to God, his afternoons to men, and his evenings to family. In other words, what he does is he spends the first part of his day in prayer and reading and studying God's Word. He spends the second part of the day doing whatever it is that he has to do, whether it's hospital visits or going to care for people or whatever it might be. And then in the evening, he takes time to spend time with his family. And here, Jesus, first thing in the morning, gets up and begins to pray. He gets up, he gets alone with God, he leaves the place where he is, and he goes to a secluded place. And this is what you and I often need to do. We sang, we sang this morning of a sweet hour of prayer, but I'm convinced this morning that oftentimes we're more satisfied with sweet seconds of prayer. We're more satisfied with quick results. Let's pray quickly, let's get this over with, and see God move quickly, and then I'll get on with the rest of my day. But I would submit to us that we do this first thing in the morning because it is the most important thing that we will do all day. To get alone with God. To pray God's blessing upon our day. To pray that God would protect us throughout the day. To pray that God would be with our family. To pray that that day would be a day that we set it aside for the good of God and for His glory. Get alone with God. Pray to Him. This word that's used here in the Greek, the original language of the New Testament in verse 35, was praying there. This word for praying is prosukamai, which is a word made up of two different words. The first word, or the prefix, pros means to move toward, to make exchange with, to travel in a forward direction. The second word, or the root word used here, is yukamai, which means to pray, to make requests, to make requests in faith. And so here is Jesus moving forward, moving toward God and making His requests known. Prayer is an act of faithfulness. Prayer shows that we trust in God, that we trust who we're going to, that we understand that He is the one who can answer our prayers. And prayer is not a last option. It's not what we do when we found that nothing else works. It is not declaring and decreeing what God will do. Prayer is the alignment of our spirit with the Holy Spirit of God. It is the humble submission of our whole life under the authority of God. And so we approach God in prayer, displaying our trust that He and He alone is the one who is able to answer our prayers. The priest can't answer our prayers. The saints cannot answer them. Our, our pastor can't answer them. Our parents and friends can't answer them. And no false gods can move on our behalf. But God and God alone is the one in whom we are called to place our faith. And because of that, we move toward Him. And as we move toward Him, we're moving away from the world. As we move toward God in prayer, we're moving away from all of our idols and saying, I trust in Him. I'm going to Him. We pray that God's will would be done and not our own. Prayer is a means of communicating to God even as His Word is God's way of communicating to us. And as for a pastor who prays, I tell you this, not that you may think much of me, 
And not so that anyone might think more highly of me than you ought to think. But just so that you know I care for you. I do pray for you. I do spend time in prayer for you. I try to set aside time every day to pray for each and every one of you. To pray that God would continually sanctify you. That God would prepare your heart for worship the next week. That God would do a work in blessing your family. That God would do a work in continually drawing you closer to Him. I pray for you. But for as much as I do pray for you, I have to confess I often fail. There are days that I fail to pray. There are days that I fail to pray for anyone else but my own concerns. And so because of that, I need your prayer. I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for one another. And this is what the life of the church looks like. We're praying for each other. We're encouraging each other. It's not one person bearing the weight. It's not ten people bearing the weight. It's not ten percent of the church bearing the weight. But we're all praying for each other. We're all encouraging each other. We're all building one another up in love. This is the life of the church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, what I feel toward you. Encourage one another and build one another up. So there's the command. Encourage one another. Build each other up. That would be my command to you. That would be my prayer for you. Encourage one another. Build one another up. But then he says, just as you are doing. I see that you're doing this. I see the encouragement. I see the love that you have for one another. But yet Paul says, keep doing it. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep growing in that. In my recent book that I wrote on prayer, I wrote, everything we do and say should be run through the filter of prayer. Prayer is the great filter of speech, the great filter of our actions. If we cannot pray and ask God to bless what we are about to say or do, we should not do that which we were set on doing. All we do, say, and even think ought to be considered first in prayer. All of our life is to be saturated in prayer. To pray without ceasing is to pray over everything, to go to God about everything we face in life, big or small, easy or difficult. This prayer life is to cover not only our own needs and desires, but also the needs of others around us. We are to cover our loved ones in prayer. The more that we kneel together in prayer, the stronger we stand together in life. But conversely, if we are a prayerless people, we'll be a powerless people. Before the preacher ever begins to preach, before he ever prepares his sermon, before he ever stands behind the pulpit to deliver his sermon, he must first be a man of prayer. And we see that modeled in Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verse 36. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, praying and casting out the demons. Pastor Mike Fabrez of Compass Bible Church rightly says of preaching, The Bible does not call pastor teachers to be entrepreneurs, movie directors, or psychologists. God calls His shepherds to be preachers. He calls them to stand in the gap and skillfully proclaim His Word. That is my mission. That 
is my calling. That is the task that God has placed upon my life. That I would be a man of prayer and a man who preaches the Word of God. To declare the good news by unfolding the Scriptures word by word and verse by verse. God's Word is sufficient. It is enough. I don't need to make up anything new or commit to anything else. His Word is what I have been commanded to deliver. I have been given my material. I am to open this book, to read from its pages, and to feed His people the spiritual food that He has prepared for us in His Word. Anything else that I might do outside of this is additional to this one central and highest task of preaching the Word of God. This is what God has called me to do. This is what God has called the church to do, to preach the Word, to tell people of this Word. And Jesus here in verse 38, He said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. Jesus came to preach. A.W. Pink says of preachers, the preacher who most honors Christ is not the one who produces the largest visible results, but is he who sticks the closest to His commission and preaches the Word most faithfully. And so my goal is not to be accepted by men. It is to be accepted by Christ. And that's already been done by His blood poured out for me on the cross at Calvary. It's already been done on my behalf that I'm accepted in Christ. My life is hidden in Him. And so I don't need the acceptance or approval of any man. What I need is to proclaim the Word of God. And if that gets me driven out of towns and hated by many, then so be it. Because this is my task, to preach the Word of God. I have no other or no greater task. It would be far better to preach a gospel that saves souls than to preach a gimmick that collects celebrity status for oneself. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, 6-10, through 10, I am amazed that you were so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Here, Jesus says that His purpose is to preach. The calling that God has placed upon His life, the commission that God sent Him to the earth with, was to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Go back with me to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Here is what our Lord was preaching. He was preaching the Old Testament, showing how He Himself was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, preaching the good news of what God was doing. And saying the time is fulfilled. All that you read about, all that your teachers taught about in the Old Testament, Jesus was pulling from that and saying, here it is. Here's the fulfillment of it now. All the Old Testament is being fulfilled in the New Testament. There are preachers today who would tell their congregations that we need to unhitch ourselves 
from the Old Testament, that the Old Testament is old news, that we need to leave that somewhere in the past. But I would submit to us that if we leave the Old Testament in the past, we leave 39 books of the Bible in the past, and we miss out on so much of the blessing that we see fulfilled in the New Testament, because the New Testament fulfills the Old Testament. And Jesus here is preaching from the Old Testament, saying the time is fulfilled. All that comes before, the, before this is fulfilled in me, Jesus says. This is what he's preaching. He preached of himself. He preached of the Messiah. He preached of the kingdom of God. He preached of God's authority to act within the hearts and lives of people. And further, as we go back to Mark chapter 1, verse 38, he doesn't say, verse 38, he said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may tell them some cool stories. He doesn't say, let us go to the towns nearby so that I might have carnivals and set up parades throughout town. He doesn't say, let us go to the towns nearby so that I might gain celebrity status for myself and gather some followers there because they think I'm just the nicest guy in town. He says, let us go to the towns nearby so that we might preach. He doesn't share a comedy routine as is the habit of so many so-called preachers today. For whatever else that the church may do or be, whether that be ministries of mercy or events that we host or vacation Bible school or church dinners or outreach events such as what we did last year as we set up in a parking lot and gave away food to people, all of those things are good and right and proper in their, in their place. But for whatever else that the church might be and do, nothing overcomes or surpasses this great task of being a people of prayer and a people of the Word. If we forsake that, if we forget that God has called us to pray and preach, then we have forgotten our identity as a church. We are called to pray and preach. If we abandon the Word, we abandon our very purpose for being here. And in every song we sing, every word of prayer we utter, every sermon we preach, every event we host, and every function of business we perform, The Word of God is the one non-negotiable for being at the center of it all. We must allow absolutely nothing to take place of the Word of God. The Word is centered to everything. Steve Lawson wrote in his book, Called to Preach, Do not shrink back from preaching the whole truth. Leave nothing unsaid. Every truth must be taught. Every promise delivered. Every hard saying declared every sin exposed and every controversy addressed, as long as God gives you breath, you must preach the whole purpose of God. In verse 38, Jesus says, that is what I came to do. I came to preach. And in Luke 19, verse 10, He says that He came to seek and save that which was lost. And it wasn't that Jesus had a split personality or a split task, that He had this task of seeking and saving that which was lost, and He had this task of preaching. It wasn't that these tasks were pinned against each other, but they were one. To seek and save that which was lost required the preaching of the Word of God. I've heard it said that, if, that, that we should tell people of the Word of God, and if necessary, use words. It is necessary that we use words, that we tell people of the gospel of God. And so here Jesus says, I came to seek that, seek and save that which was lost. And here in Mark chapter 1, verse 38, He says, I came to preach. These two are one. If we want to see our community revived, if we want to see this church built up 
and sanctity. If we want to see our community and our neighbors come to Christ in droves, then we must have at the center of absolutely everything that we do the preaching of the Word of God. If we are to seek and save that which was lost, we must preach the Word of God. Someone once asked a pastor how the sovereignty of God over salvation, the divine choice of God over whom He saves, could be reconciled with the command to do missions in evangelism. Since God determines who will be saved, why do missions? Why preach? What's the point of it all? Here was the answer. Guaranteed success. Guaranteed success. In other words, if the salvation of those around us were dependent upon the wit and strength of the preacher, all would be lost. But because salvation is not dependent upon me, but upon God's strength, is hinged upon God's Word and not my wit, we can trust Isaiah 55.11, which tells us that God's Word will go out and will not come back void. So if we are faithful in preaching, if we are faithful in praying for our loved ones and praying for our neighbors and praying for our co-workers and then telling them of the gospel whenever opportunity presents itself, we'll have guaranteed success. Not because of how good we are at telling the gospel. Not because of how great of a preacher I am. But because of how great of a God God is. We will have guaranteed success as long as we are faithful to Him. He will be faithful in saving His people. If you want to see lost souls saved, if you want to see lukewarm Christians stirred up once again unto faithful service and love for the Lord, preach the Word. Don't resort to what seems to work. Because as we said at the beginning, it may work for a moment to stir the emotions, but it will have no lasting effects. It will be seed that was cast among rocky ground. As soon as the heat comes, as soon as difficulties rise, the faith will go away. But instead, resolve to stick to what actually does work. Let us be a church of prayer. As Jesus was in verse 35, He got alone with God. He got away from everything else and He prayed to God. Let us first be a people of prayer. And second, let us be a people who preach the Word, who declare the Word. And let us commit to not only praying for ourselves, not only praying for our own family members, not only praying for our own co-workers, but pray for each other. Pray for each other's family members who you know to be lost. Pray for each other's co-workers. Commit to praying for one another. If we want to see this church continue to be faithful to God, we must be people of prayer. And we must be people who are committed to being faithful to God's Word. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? I know so often because of my own weakness that we face weakness in this life. We face troubles that would cause doubt. We face things that sometimes we think are too big for you to handle, but God, help us. Starting with me, help me as the shepherd who you have placed here over your people to lead your people, to guide your people in a deeper understanding and love for you. Help me, Lord, 
to cast aside any doubt, to cast aside any worries, to cast aside any fears so that I might be a man of prayer. But Lord, don't stop with me. Continue that work in each and every person who is in this church. Build them up. Encourage them. Strengthen them. Help us, Lord, as a church to be one body. To pray for one another. And to be strong together. Because, Lord, you know how desperately we need strength in this day. Father, help us. Help us. In Christ's name, amen.